Welcome to the Tuscarawas County Anti-Drug Coalition podcast, bringing you open and honest conversations about resources in Tuscarawas County. Now here's your host, Jody Salvo. Hi, this is Jody Salvo. Welcome to another Tuscarawas County Anti-Drug Coalition podcast. Today we're in um, part five, part four, part five of our What I Wish Someone Would Have Told Me series. Um, This series, I'm really excited about it and I, I have loved the podcasts that have come out of it. It's what I wish someone would have told me. Um, and we've developed this series in response to helping people find resources here in our community. Uh, we know when people are walking through addiction and into recovery, um, it's not the one size fits all for anybody. So there's always a unique story um, and a situation and then information on what was just really helpful for my own personal story. Um, And we've just had wonderful people sharing in the last couple um, episodes. And today I have John Bazaar, um, and I am just gonna go ahead and throw this over to John. He he can tell you a little bit about who he is, and then we'll talk a little bit about his story as well. John. I'm John Bazaar. I live in uh, just outside of Dover here. been here oh, 12 years now. Um, I grew up in upstate New York. It's a little bit of change, huh? It is a little bit of a change. Uh, believe it or not, uh, a little bit of culture shock. It really is. You know, it, it doesn't seem like moving between states would be that different. But uh, I moved from New Jersey to Dover, you and You Ohio, and I so. have similar experiences then, yes. Yep. Yeah. It's a wonderful, Tuscarawas County, wonderful, oh, wonderful place to be, but man, there are some major cultural shifts. And, yes. Yeah. The way I behaved in upstate New York <laughs> does not work as well here in in uh, Tuscarawas County. Um, You'll appreciate this. My husband used to work in Manhattan, and he loved driving in the city. And Oh, man. And we moved to Tuscarawas County, and that's been a while now, yeah. but he was working in Freeport, Oh. And he was an aggressive New York driver. Yes. And you know exactly what I mean. I do. Um, <laughs> the horn is involved in every turn you make in New York yes. City. Yes. And he's driving out to Freeport, Harrison County, and he's, you know, pumping on that horn. If anyone knows him, he's really mild-mannered, except <laughs> for when he was New York driving. And I would say to him, honey, you are going to get shot. <laughs> If there's 15 feet between the front bumper of your car and the back bumper of the car in front of you, that's enough room to stick a car in. <laughs> and they're the coming. <laughs> first month I was in Tuscarawas County, I remember talking to my girlfriends from other cities because I lived in cities. And I'm like, you know, I have not been honked at or swore at <laughs> like in 30 days. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yes, yes. Anyways, I'm sorry. No, that's, that's a good, but, but, you know, that paints a picture of who we are where we came from. Um, uh, my parents, my father was uh, self-employed. He was a machinist. My mother was a, was a homemaker. We had a large family. Um, there was no alcohol in our house. Okay. So how many siblings? I have eight siblings. Eight siblings. No alcohol in the house. No alcohol in the house. Um, churchgoers, definitely. Um, grew up Roman Catholic. Um, there's, there's a bunch of experiences there that I would say have colored my attitude in that direction. And I don't feel the need to go into detail, okay. 
But, uh, yeah. Uh, At what age did you first use then? 18. Okay. I did not start drinking until I got out of the house. So, John, I'm, I'm already excited for this podcast because I think, just hearing that, I love when we have so many different ways that people end up in addiction and can share that story. Um, because some of the, the big barriers we fight around addiction is people not understanding addiction and sometimes blaming that person in addiction. And yeah. I always want people to understand, like, you know, anyone can end up in this place, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, so oh, I yeah. love stories as well when not in my house, intact family, yep. of faith, and yep. here I am at 18. 18, yep. you know, 18. a lot of times people think, well, that's a little bit older, and that's yeah. what we're always saying, you know, 21 is the legal drinking age, and if you have a family history, not at all. You know, that's kind yeah. of the mantra we keep saying, yeah. but didn't mean to interrupt. I just no, wanted to highlight, you know, this wasn't an early onset. Of no, it, like no, that. it wasn't for me. Um, uh, being in the family that we were in, we we uh, struggled financially. Um, we did okay, you know. We we never felt that we were um, badly off. Okay, I won't say that, but um, there were times when it was obvious that other people had quite a bit more than we did, and uh, and some of them made it known. Okay, you know, so that was kind of tough on all of us. But, um, you know, my parents were uh, of the Depression area generation where you did not waste anything. And, um, you know, it was, uh, if, if something wasn't going well, it's more like, I'm sorry for your luck, get over it. We've got to, uh, got to get this done. And, uh, uh, but that was... That was what we had to do. Okay. You know, um, from my point of view, I was, uh, I was early into academics and science and, you know, I tried my best in sports and I was pretty good, but, you know, I was no baseball player. Okay. And you know, I just didn't quite have the knack and I'm not sure I really had that much I like to play but not enough where I would go spend many you didn't hours have that playing. Passion. I did not have the passion so um so I was one who uh I liked science I liked uh physics I liked chemistry and I I, I did those things okay. and pretty well in school so I, I wasn't I wasn't doing badly in school um Talking to my classmates many years later, that I find out that I was very well respected, but um, we don't know that at those ages. I didn't know that at that age. That's for sure. I was, I didn't. If somebody told me that, I wouldn't have believed them. Um, but that also goes back to you know where I was mentally when mm -hmm. I turned eighteen. When I turned eighteen, um, I. I had a full ride scholarship and I turned 18. I got off the school. It was a private school and I attended classes for two weeks. Wow. 
I went from not drinking to out of control. Out of control in two weeks. So, um, yeah, I I barely attended classes. I pulled D's. You know. So uh, I'm assuming the scholarship went bye byes. Yes, it did. Yep. Okay. And 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 in today's money, uh, I'm thinking in terms of um, a private engineering school that would have been tuition today would have been $150,000 wow. for a four-year degree, and I threw that away. Okay. And what's insane about that is I did it twice. Not so you started drinking, it sounds like, right when you went to on campus. First weekend. Did you have a family history or anything? My, my grandfather was an alcoholic. Did you I guys didn't know, know that? that. You did didn't not know, know that. that. And uh, it turns out that uh, my uncle and his family, especially his wife, my aunt, um, drank. Okay. She was an alcoholic. He was not, but she was. Now, did your parents know that? Or oh, yes, really? they, knew. they knew. They it. knew. Okay. They knew. It was not talked about. But it would have been a different generation back then, so it probably it was. wasn't. It was not discussed. Okay. It was not discussed at all. I really wish my mother had talked to us about my grandfather, but uh, I, I, I look back on it and I say to myself, uh, you know, if I had gone through what my parents went through, I'm not sure I would have been any different. Because okay. um, they went through the Depression, of course. And then, then came World War II. My father came home a disabled veteran. And uh, back then, disabled veterans had a hard time getting jobs. And Social Security really wasn't uh, anything you could depend on. Sure. You know, all of that. Um, which was one of the reasons that kind of pushed my father into going into business for himself. He did well. Okay. You know? So, but... You got eight kids, so that's a lot to support. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, and that's it. You know, he, he went through all of the trauma of the uh, of the recovery from his wounds, and you know, and those wounds were permanent. Um, and uh, and the struggles and the poverty and all of that, all of that. Yeah. And they didn't discuss that with us at all. You know, they were trying to protect us. I get that. Sure. Um, but as far as my grandfather's alcoholism, that would have been an important thing for me to understand. Do you think that if you would have known that, that would have been a game changer on you experimenting it in college? might have steered me in a different direction. Okay. Uh, my attitude toward health and safety was, you know, I want to be healthy, I want to be safe. And I, people have commented on that. But um, when it came to alcohol... There was none of that. that was you know, it, completely. I I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, the podcast that we did last week um, with uh, is it Jess Jess um, Beamer? Um, there's some young ladies that uh, listen to that podcast that are in addiction at this point, or mm -hmm. you know, working towards recovery, and they all had shared. I, I heard through a conversation that one of the common themes they had is they wished their parents would have had some more conversation around this issue. Yeah. 
So that's one of the reasons we really have these podcasts to share information that that we want to know. And one is mm-hmm. parents talk about these issues. Now with you, John, I do understand that generation gap was probably a little bit different mm-hmm. um, where those kind of conversations, they didn't happen. They were hush hush in they home. So, um, but still as a young person, if I would have known. Yes. Oh, and, and, and part of that, anything with uh, addiction, whether it's alcohol or drugs or, or anything, um, one of the biggest issues with addiction is denial. And not just denial of the person using, but denial of the people in the family around them. Mm, great point. You know, we don't, you know, if, if we don't talk about it, it won't happen. If we don't, you know, if, if, if we don't talk about it, it's not real. You know. yeah. um, and somebody who's been through something traumatic uh, will not talk about it because it's so traumatic for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes addiction skips generations, and that's one of the ways it does that. The people in the in the second generation, they're like, we're not doing we're this. Not we're not. We're not talking about. It. We're not doing it. We're no ever. And the, and that's true even today. Yeah, you, know, you tend to see it happens one or the other. That that next generation just jumps in, or they're like, I am so out of this. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yes, exactly. Um, and, and that's what happened with okay. us. Um, so when you first drank, did you know pretty early on you're, you had a problem? No. No. No, I was hanging out with the cool kids. Okay. And what were you experiencing when you were drinking at that point? Were you blacking out? Were you just... No, I wasn't blacking out right away, but I was drunk. Okay. Uh, I was staggering home, uh, and this was most of the time. Now, do you remember, were you drinking to fit in, or were you oh, drinking because yeah. you liked the feel, or a little bit of both? I was drinking to fit in. Okay. I liked the feel, you know. Okay. It was, all of a sudden, I was Superman, you know. Oh, I loved all of that. Okay. Yeah. I had had no idea, at the, had no understanding, no concept of the fact that I was in trouble. Not a clue. Okay. Because I was hanging out with people who drank like I did. Okay. So how'd that impact that first year of school then, or how long did you stay in school at that point? I made it through the first year as far as attending, not attending classes, but being on school property. Okay. I didn't make it. (laughs) <laughs> to, to, the, to the fall of the following year. Uh, I I didn't even bother asking. I knew I wasn't going to be allowed back. Okay. I knew what my grades were. They were terrible. And uh, and I had already been put on notice. So it was it was not a good scene. Um, so clearly you're a smart man because you did tell me you're a mechanical engineer to this I, day. I, so how did you reconcile my grades can't finish school well, that, what what I ended up doing is I ended up working in, in I don't know what they call them today, but they we used to call them sweatshops, um, places where you were just a body that was making sure the machines were running, and you know you were you were feeding product into the machine and taking product out of the machine, and um, the places were not heated, ventilated, cooled. 
in any way, shape, or form. You were in there. You were eight hours, ten hour days, and you were sweating. Okay. Um. So, I worked at a few of those for a while, and uh, now were you still partying oh, at that yeah. point? Okay. Oh yeah. So that Absolutely. beginning of college just, just oh it just continued. Okay. Oh, it was it was one continuous stream. Okay. Um. Yeah, I. I Ended up getting fired from a couple of jobs. Of course, that was somebody else's fault, not because I was out drinking the night before. You know, things like that. Um, But I finally got to the point where I was tired of the sweatshop environment. Okay. So I went back to school. And uh, I went to a community college and got... uh, Got my first two years of an engineering degree in a community college. That worked out well because it meant that I could stay home and and go to school. Okay. And I didn't get mixed up in that crowd. Right. Um, didn't stop drinking. Were you slowed it down a little bit? Drinking at this point, or did I you was start never drinking? a social drinker. Okay. I was never a social. When I went drinking, I went to get drunk. Okay. And uh, that that was. That's not something I understood at the time, but that's what I was doing. Okay. As, as I sit back and look at it now, it's I didn't go out there to visit with people. I didn't go out there to hang out. I went there to get drunk. Okay. So, um, but again, hallmark of this disease is denial. Oh, I'm going to go out with my friends. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um it it just, I wish I understood that at the mm-hmm. time. But once again, I was with people that were drinking like me. Sure. So it was okay. Now let me ask you, at that phase, do you think if someone had explained a little bit about the science of addiction, understanding? At that point, I was, okay. I was five to, in, in that, there's a five-year for five to 10 years into my drinking. Okay. And, and now I, I, I was beyond listening to anybody at that time. Um, that became a point where I wasn't going to stop until it got bad enough for me emotionally to decide I needed to stop. Okay. Um, that came several years later. I, I'd actually gotten my engineering degree and gotten a decent job and, and uh, I found myself incredibly lonely. Okay. Um, that was the big deal for me. It wasn't, uh, wasn't that I'd, not that I didn't lose anything. It wasn't that I'd, it wasn't the fact that I had lost so much. It was that I was by myself. Okay. You know, I mean, my family was there, but, you know. I Any real relationship no, didn't exist. I could not hold a relationship to save my life. Okay. You know, um, of course, it was everybody else's fault, but, you know, that was my attitude. Um, But it took a long time to understand that. In that meantime, you know, before I actually got to that point, I went back to that same private engineering school for the second two years of my degree. I didn't make it. 
So that environment was just really bad. It did bad not work. No, it was not a good environment for me. So what I ended up doing, back to the sweatshops, mm-hmm. put another couple of years there, um, managed to pull myself together and, and, and pull together enough money to buy a car so I could get to and from work and, and things like that. And, um, and it was no prize, I'm telling you. But um, I went from one job to another job. The, the third job was actually a pretty decent job. Uh, and I had managed to straighten myself up enough to, um, to get a really decent technician's job okay. somewhere um, based on my two-year degree so far. And um, I spent seven years at that job and, uh, and going to night school for my, for my bachelor's at a different private school. So did anyone ever call you out on your drinking at this point? Employers? Yeah. Okay. Employers, no. Okay. Um, so you were what we'd call a functional alcoholic. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to laugh about the employers calling somebody out. Some of the people I was drinking with were my employers. So, of course, they're not going to call me out. I was, I was with them. Yeah. Um, but um, once I got into that last job, and I started school, I was so busy that I was forced to cut back on, on my drinking. Still spending some time on weekends going out. Okay. But uh, it, uh, it really, because I was working 56 hours a week and, and attending classes too and trying to keep up with my homework. Okay. You know, which... So keeping busy was helpful for you. Oh, it was incredibly helpful. <laughs> incredibly helpful. I had no idea that that's what that was what was going on, but I wanted that engineering degree so bad that that's what I did to get it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll throw out here anyone listening. I think one of the problems we have with COVID, which makes substance use so difficult, mm-hmm. is downtime is not probably anybody's friend, whether no. especially if you're no. Struggling with addiction. No. And um, I will not be surprised if we're not going to see a lot of outcomes of being at home and drinking mm-hmm. and downtime in the workplace, you know, where people that just have more time, less accountability, yes. um, that we're yes. probably going to see the effects of this. You're going to see a lot of that, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. Um, people are going to be trying to come back to work and they're going to have to change their routines and it's going to be a struggle for yeah. them. and. You know, um, it it's just going to be, um, it's going to be a slow transition. Yeah. And, uh, it's one of the things the coalition's kind of having, really kind of thinking about mm-hmm. wanting to talk to employers about just having yeah. those conversations right now with your employees. Because if your employees are at home and, and they're not driving and they're starting to drink earlier or the pores are bigger, you know, it could be feeding, whether... In between phone calls. Yeah. <laughs> you know this. <laughs> oh no, I would never do such a thing. Um, yeah, that's that's the way an, an addicted mind works. Yeah, you know, we can uh, if we can hide it and get away with it, we often that's, do. Sure. Um, so sorry to interrupt you. No, you were good. At that kind of place in life where at least the work and the school was kind of keeping you a little more accountable. That yeah. you didn't have time to yeah. drink as much. I wasn't allowed to drink on site. 
So, <laughs> you know, and then, you know, there was only, I was, I was getting six hours sleep at night. So, I mean, there just wasn't time to go do anything else. And uh, I was attempting to be responsible, although, you know, obviously I was not any great saint, but um, I was attempting to, to do that. And then uh, once I got my degree, I got my new job, got promoted to an engineering position. I suddenly found myself with a whole lot of time on my hands and didn't know what to do with myself. Okay. Um, continued my drinking. I wasn't at the intensity that it was before I started uh, night school, but it was there. And it was after a couple of years of that that I found myself saying, what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Uh, it took a while, and, and, and this was not a. It was not something that I suddenly realized. Okay. It just uh, anybody who's ever seen the movie Two Thousand One: A Space Odyssey remembers the the scene where the dawn is raising, you know, the sun's rising over the horizon, and and the dramatic music. It was more like that in incredibly slow motion. <laughs> it just didn't, you know, it yeah. was it was very, very slow in coming. John, I appreciate you sharing that as well, um, because sometimes when there's family members or loved ones watching someone mm-hmm. in this path of addiction, they might think, like, how do you not get this? You know, this is destroying your life, or this is, you know, really impacting your ability to move forward. And I think what I'm hearing you say is, you don't even recognize it. No, you know what I mean. It, you don't see it. You don't. Just, you don't see it. And uh, and and I had two brothers who were at various stages of the same issue. Okay. And uh, I'm sure my sisters could have pointed it out, but we weren't basically hanging weren't around right. with them. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it would have been. I don't know if I would have listened, but it would have been helpful, I think, if uh, somebody could have explained to me and in, in a way that actually would sink in um, what that was doing to our parents. Okay. You know, because we were all adults and, you know, off doing our thing, but they could see it. You know, a couple of us had gotten arrested for a couple of things, and, you know, they could see... Um, what uh, could see that they, they were trying to tell us, they were trying to tell us we were playing with matches and we weren't listening. So out of the eight siblings, three of you ended up struggling with addiction? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that really just kind of shows in a family without substances mm-hmm. growing up in an intact family. Oh, yeah. Three ended up with yeah. ad- addiction issues, oh, which yeah. really kind of shows that genetic marker. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Certainly, certainly. Um, you know, um, there's an environmental aspect of that as well. Uh, we all grew up under the same conditions, and we all yeah. reacted to those conditions the same way. Mm. You know, um, it. Uh, you know, so not, it, I'm, I'm certainly not unique in any respect, but there's a lot of ways we can get to the point sure. that we're at. Sure. Um, and uh, sometime, 
this is this is something that uh, slowly is part of that whole dawning experience. At some point, I finally realized that I was responsible for everything I was doing. You know, I could blame it on my parents, my family, my friends, or, you know, other people, all I want. But that was all past history, and and I was responsible for what I was doing. And, and so I where had did to change that, my attitude. That even thought come from? Were you just starting to get miserable or yes. isolated, lonely? Yeah, okay. I was. I was. I was. Um, you know, I was still going to work every day. That wasn't the issue. And I was, you know, reasonably well respected by my coworkers and, and all of that. But, um, yeah, but being by myself all that time and having a terrible time with relationships and, you know, and my... My escape was to go drinking. So how old were you at this point where you're kind of realizing, hey, this isn't working well for me? 35. 35, okay. Yeah, I had, I had pretty good uh, career by then in okay. alcoholism, hmm. among other things. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, it, it had taken hold. Yeah. And... Uh, so now you're having these thoughts of, okay... I'm not what happy. I, what do I do? Yeah, I'm miserable. What do I do? Yeah, what do I do? And uh, I stumbled around for a while, and then finally somebody introduced me to a 12-step program, and uh, that made sense. Okay. That stuck. Um, I didn't get it right away. Um, again, that's another thing where it, I didn't. I've often heard the phrase, I wasn't struck sober. You know, it wasn't a bolt of lightning issue where, you know, it was just one of those things where after hanging around sober people long enough. Kind of rubbed off. <laughs> it, it rubbed off. Yeah, exactly. And I can't take any credit for any of it other than the fact that I kept showing up. That's awesome. That's all. I, and then I didn't do that on a regular basis either. It just, after a while, it just started to sink in. So who was that person that introduced you? Was it someone in recovery or someone yes. that's, okay. Someone close to me, and I will not go there. Okay. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> uh, I, the only reason I was reaching out is because, you know, sometimes it takes that loving person to say, hey, you know, John, I. And it was done in such a way for me that it was almost like I was tricked into it. It's. Was I wasn't, but um, I was invited to a meeting for somebody's celebration of sobriety for a certain period, and uh, I said, "Okay, you know, I'll go." And then I got to that meeting. I sat in that meeting and said, "Oh, these people are like me. They're like me." You know, and and it it uh, it was strange because the next meeting I went to, I was a nervous wreck. But that was the first meeting I went to for, for myself, you. not for anybody else, for me. And and um, 
I will say that I am one of the fortunate ones that once I came to a meeting for myself, I have not had the need to pick up another drink. That's awesome. And uh, intervening years before that, um, I had attempted to stop drinking a couple of times and succeeded for extended periods of time and slowing down when I was going to school and all of that. Okay. But I was using that as an excuse to say I didn't have a problem. See, I can stop. Mm-hmm. I can stop anytime I want. Except that I didn't stay stopped. Right. <laughs> for a week you know? or two. <laughs> yeah, for a week or two. Actually, for a year one time. Wow. But okay. there were legal consequences be- which brought me to that point. Um, you know, you don't get in the car uh, after a good night of drinking scotch and uh, go into a blackout and drive past the police station and run a red light with a uh, police cruiser sitting there at the traffic light. Wow. Yeah, you just don't get away with yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I had some consequences from that. But I did thank the police officers because once I realized what had happened, if they had not pulled me over, somebody would likely be dead. You or somebody else. Me or somebody else. It would have been horrible. And I do know people this happened to, to wake up from the blackout, finding out that I had killed somebody. Yeah, wow. Uh, I, knew, I knew at least one person where exactly that happened. No recollection of it. Mm. None. To this day, couldn't tell you what happened. Wow. Well, blessing that they caught you. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. I'm incredibly grateful to those guys for doing what they did. Oh, they were good to me. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I wasn't, I don't think I was belligerent. But they treated me okay, yeah. you know, for given the circumstances. But So consequences can be helpful. Yep. They can at least... Get my attention. Get your attention. Okay. But they're not always that life-changing situation. I had another 10 years of drinking ahead of me. Very good. So, you know, I stopped for a while, but I, without a program, I went back to it. So what difference did that program make in your life? It gave me a, a sense of fellowship. I was not by myself. I was able to follow what someone else had done to stay sober. Okay. Um, I, you know, I don't have to drink again. All I have to do is what these people were doing. And uh, that's important to share because I imagine when you're struggling and things are getting dark mm -hmm. and hard, Mm -hmm. you probably don't feel like anyone else can get this or understand it or you see other people drinking and they're not in the situation you are yeah it it, it was one of those things where i did not understand that other people could drink put a beer down half full walk away and that was not ever going to be your case. I, I don't ever <laughs> recall doing that well actually okay. i did it one time and that that was the day i quit okay. drinking I literally put the beer down, half full, and said, what the hell am I doing? And walked out of the bar. That's when I stopped. And that was right after you had started the no, program? No, that was before, but I had met okay. somebody who was in the program, and that seed got planted. Okay. 
And then, but I was miserable. I was doing what we call white knuckling. I was doing it yeah. by myself. I can do this for a year. And, but it was it was my introduction to the twelve step program that uh, that gave me a sense of belonging and sense of direction. Nice. So, um, made some incredible friendships in that. Fellowship, you know, lifelong. Are you s- still uh, attend oh, meetings? As much as I can. Nice. As much okay. as I can, yes. Um, some of the people that were in the room when I first walked in, I am still in touch with. You know, I mean, they're they're five hundred miles away, but I'm in touch if with you them. Ever need oh, yes. someone? They're there. I'll call them up. Talk to them. Yeah. When we go back to visit, because, you know, we still have family up there, you know, we go look them up. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Something neat about shared experiences and just. Oh, yeah. I, I, I always marvel at how supportive the recovery community is of each other. Like, yeah. I don't know if you see that anywhere else, but, I mean, y'all really just have each other's back. Um and I think in life, whether it's addiction or any other issue, I mean, we just need accountability. We need fellowship. We need encouragement. Those are just, I think, what we need is, is human beings, yes. you know, and I yes. think that creates an environment of. And, and, and that fellowship extends beyond just staying sober. Um, person that I know uh, this morning um, we were doing a, a Zoom meeting, and uh, he got on the on the on the call, and uh, his apartment had been broken into, okay. and all of his stuff had been stolen the night before. And um, we um, were helping him get back on his feet. You know, um, he he didn't have major losses, but he had, he's in his late seventies. He doesn't have a lot of money. Um, he's been in the program for many years, many years, uh, and a lot of people know him and rely on him. You know, so we're all. Uh, taking up a collection and uh, going to go out and uh, front him some money to mm-hmm. replace the things that are that are lost, so that uh, you know he he can pick up yeah. where he was. Um, well, you know, but saying- that's the kind of thing that that's before that I never would have had anything like that. I would not. I was not part of an or, of, of a community that yeah. would do that. And I think one of the neat things is, you know, that initial part of getting in a community is to help prevent or stop, mm-hmm. but you move on from there, you yeah. know, like yeah. that, that's why you come together. But I think yeah. it's so important to find, okay, how do you do life without substances? How do you have healthy relationships? How do you support each other? You know what I mean? And I think there's probably a lot you have to learn Oh yeah. after years of mm-hmm. not having healthy relationships or... One of the one of the hallmarks of addiction is you don't know how messed up your thinking is. You don't understand it. 
you don't realize that it's so far away from what anybody anybody yeah. else does. We use the same words to speak, but the meaning behind them is so different. Uh, you know, somebody yeah. who's who doesn't have an addiction issue, um, it might as well be speaking a totally yeah. different language. We just there's there's no and you know what? way no path there to connect. One of the things that John is explaining is that the brain literally is wired differently. Exactly. That substances, you, the brain depends on that substance to release the dopamine to make it feel okay. So what might feel feed a healthy brain, um, things that might give it pleasure could be, you know, hugging on a puppy or whatever it might yeah, be. yeah. Um, where when that brain is so conditioned to need that alcohol or that substance, nothing else is lightened up no. except that some sort of addiction. And that's truly like a brain development thing that happens. It very much is. Um, very much is. Uh, once and, and this goes to once you, somebody stops drinking or stops using drugs within a few days or a couple of weeks, the physical effects start to re you start to recover from the physical effects but what is so difficult for us to understand is that as you're saying the, the brain is wired to go in one direction and you're trying to go in another and it's going to take a long time to make the adjustments sure it really is going to take a long time um which is why it's such a struggle for for people new in recovery to make that change, because they don't know any other way. Yeah, your thinkings. It's so, it's so messed up. You're yeah. so lost. Um, you're so lost, and, and you don't know it. That's yeah. that's. It gets back again. You know, for me, it gets back to denial. You know, nothing wrong with me. What do you mean? What are you talking about? That, that's, you, you don't understand it. You just don't understand it. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that happens any time in life. Your norm mm -hmm. is is what you experience. So sometimes you, you just don't know any other way. That's right. So, you know, it probably just takes a lot of time. First, you have to get sober. And then you have to realize, huh, you know, this, this isn't working for me. You know, right. what, what do I need to change or what do I need to add in? Because right. your life probably really revolved around that substance. So now, okay, what do I need to fill my life with? Yeah. So I'm not right. allowing opportunities. Right. Sometimes, it, sometimes recovery is replacement. You know, um, if, you wanna, if you want to get rid of one bad habit, you have to replace it with another. Early on in sobriety, for me, it was, uh, believe it or not, switching addictions. Okay. I became, uh, I had a Coca-Cola in my hand all the time. So I was, I was using sugar to, uh, to help. I didn't know that. Sure. You know, I had to have something in my hand. I had to have something to drink, and I was using sugar drinks uh, to uh, substitute for alcohol. But I didn't know that I was switching addictions. Yeah, which led on to another <laughs> another <laughs> struggle, which uh, 
you know, yeah. But it's at least that one is not. Uh, it's not as deadly, and right. it's not uh, doesn't have all the other consequences. Sure. Yeah, there are health issues associated with it, but uh, but it, you know, at least that one I had a fighting chance. Yeah. So. But. Um, so, started your program. Have been in for how many years? Twenty six. Twenty six still. Yep. Working, attending. Yep. Uh, I'm sure you're sponsoring others at this point, or? I'm attempting to. Wonderful. <laughs> um, yeah, you, you, know, it, you can only sponsor somebody who wants it. So that's why I said it that yeah, way. Yeah, absolutely. So what but, are yeah. lessons you learned from these years of recovery? Anything that you wish someone would have told you? Earlier on, I, I I wish someone had told me how much damage addiction could do. When I was going to high school, when I was going to college, all the cool kids were drinking, and and at that time, some of them were were doing drugs too. Okay. Um. Some of them didn't survive that. Uh, I had one classmate who uh, graduated uh, in June and committed suicide in July. So um, others uh, I'm in contact with now, um, they're doing okay now. Okay. You know, I don't know if they're in any kind of 12-step program or not. I don't think so because they are, you know, partaking, as we say. Um, but um, it doesn't seem to be controlling their lives. So they may be among those who truly are not alcoholic. They, they can they can take it or leave it. Yeah. You know. Um, so I'm just going to throw out, um, just because I keep hearing this, it is so important that we talk to our young people about addiction, the consequences of substance use, um, because even if you think your kid's going to roll their eyes and not listen to you, they really do value your voice. Research shows 50% of parents who speak to their young people, um, there's a 50% um, chance of the young people not using. So they really do care what yes. we say. I think we've done a much better job in schools. Most all of our schools have prevention education programs. Um, but it's important for adults. These these conversations, they're not natural. I mean, you don't just, if, if you don't do a little bit of work, you're probably going to struggle with some of these conversations with your young people. So I'm going to just say, go to the Tuscarawas County Anti-Drug Coalition website. We have a lot of information on how parents can talk to their young people about addiction and alcohol use and prescription drug and marijuana and um vaping and tobacco issues with talking points like say this you know think about this uh, because you really do need to equip yourself to have those conversations and I'm also going to say for persons in the recovery community we would love to have you at the table at the anti-drug coalition because we have normal normally we have a lot of events and opportunities to educate the community and I think you know having that voice whether we're at a booth at the county fair um, or wherever we're at to have those opportunities to say to to people from the community hey you know have a conversation or this is what i would have liked to have heard so 
we're accepting all volunteers. And we just really want to encourage people to have conversations with our young people. Um, It's not guaranteed it'll make a difference, but there's a good chance that they might hear something and just really understand it. Like John was saying, if he would have known his grandfather had an addiction, it might have made a difference. It might have made a difference because then I could have seen the damage that it did and understood what kind of damage it would do. So would you almost recommend to people, if you have an addiction or it's running in your family, take that opportunity to talk to your young people? Oh, yes. Um, We did that with our daughter. Okay. And uh, she... uh, so far, doesn't have any such issues, um, and we're grateful for that. Yeah. Um, who knows where it's going to go from from here? Um, nothing is ever guaranteed. Yeah. Um, tomorrow is a different day, yeah. different set of circumstances. We're, you know, just grateful for where we are today. Yeah, and addiction doesn't run in my family, but I know we've had a lot of conversations with my kids. You know. Even though addiction doesn't run, the science is there to say don't drink before 21 if you don't have a family history because you just increase your chance of addiction, oh, yeah. you know. Yeah. So we have that conversation often. If we can delay the onset, yep. then you can make an adult decision. Yeah. But you need to understand your chance of your brain being when, wired for addiction happened with that young initiation as well. When I turned 18, the uh, laws in upstate New York, uh, the, the Legal limit was 18. Um, and uh, they have since changed it to 21. Yeah. So of course, I'm, at the time, I was grumbling, no, they should have left that alone. Or not, you know, but, but now. Yeah, yeah it's, it was the right thing to yeah. do. <laughs> Definitely the right thing to do. Um, yeah, because you don't realize how much you're still learning in those, in those three years and how much your brain is still developing. It is developing. Yes. It is. It's it's incredible. Um, yeah, I wish I hadn't done the things that I did when I was eighteen. But I'm sure most of us can say we made some dumb decisions oh, back then. Oh yes. Um, <laughs> but on the other hand, I, I I do have to say that with all of the stuff that I've gone through and put myself through and everyone else around me, uh, it's brought me to where I am today. And. Uh, and in my case, it's put me in a position where I can help somebody else. And that, for the fellowship, I went there at first to get help for myself. Mm-hmm. After a while, I realized that I could help myself by helping someone else. So service has been key. It is. It is so important. And it's so important to continue sobriety because... If I can stop thinking about my problems by helping somebody else, all of a sudden my problems aren't problems anymore. I, it, it, we say if we can get out of our own heads. Yeah. Uh, 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 saying that I learned um, and can very much appreciate my the inside of my head is a bad neighborhood. You really don't want to be there very long. <laughs> um, not by myself, anyway. So, you know, it just um, it emphasizes the importance of uh, being with uh, other people in recovery and talking about what's going on. You know, and if you got some 
I like to say if the squirrels are running loose inside my head, I probably ought to tell somebody. (coughs) And, you know, I do think for everybody, when we're not focused on ourselves, when we're investing in another, that's where joy comes in. You know, that's where purpose and value and, and true relationship comes in. I know I always find more life satisfaction when I'm serving others, you know. Especially family. Yeah. For me, anyway. Yeah, very neat. You know, as much as I can. So I'll tell you what, this has been phenomenal. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Is there anything else you'd want to share? We don't have that much time. <laughs> <laughs> I know, we could go on we forever. Could go on for we hours. really could. Yes, because, could. you know, your perspective is just really neat. And, um, and you, you've had a long time in addiction and you've had a long time in recovery, which gives you a lot of just opportunity to just share all over the place. Um, so if you can think of one key takeaway of what you wish you would have, someone would have told you. That's hard because you could go well, a million yeah, different again, ways. You could go for hours on that. But uh, if, if there was one key thing um, anybody could have told me was how insidious alcohol and and drug addiction could be as far as destroying everything okay everything it's you know we we talk about destroying lives it destroys everything um, it destroys everything it destroys mm-hmm. families it destroys really it destroys everything um, i appreciate that that's a great takeaway um because we live in a society it's fast-paced. Things are coming at us. We probably aren't all that equipped to deal with things that are coming at us. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people use substances just as that way to self-medicate or cope or to get through those situations. And we need to be mindful that it's a really dangerous way yes. to deal with situations. And, you know, sometimes you might think, oh, what's the big deal? But it can be ever life-changing so i think it's a great takeaway you know it's not something to be taken lightly no it's it it can be for some people it's not a big deal but for for those of us that uh, that have addictive tendencies it's and you hit on it it's it's not even just that genetic piece no it's that life situation and i heard it early on you were like how you viewed yourself you know and I think we all come, I, I mean, we all come from different life situations, but, you know, whatever those life experiences have been, whether it's been trauma or if it's been a low perception of self or whatever it is, whatever it, is. it can certainly play into what that drink or what that substance does and mm-hmm. how it might meet a need for that brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a, a really good takeaway, so I appreciate that. For those people who, um, I don't know if if this last thing I'm going to say will help anybody or not, but all of the things that I've done to get where I am now, I wish there was a way that I could have transferred some of that to my nephew. Okay. He's gone. I'm so sorry. And there was nothing we could do. So, 
even when you know, it can still. Oh, sure. It's a life. Someone clearly you loved and... um, Of all the members of my family, he was the one that was most like me. That's the way I looked at it. He made all the mistakes that I did. The only difference is he was into opiates. That's the only difference. Uh, And you know what? We have ever-changing drugs that come down the pike, and uh, they get more powerful and more potent and more deadly, Mm -hmm. um, which is absolutely true. But I will say I am sure your nephew is just really proud of you investing in other people. Um, because I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm just sorry. I don't even have a word for you other than I appreciate your heart and, and your willingness to share and willingness to invest in other people. And for that, I really appreciate that. So guys, I appreciate you um, listening today. Um, John, I thank you for sharing your story and some of your experiences and insight and guys catch us next week for another episode of the Tuscarawas County Anti-Drug Coalition. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tuscarawas County Anti-Drug Coalition podcast. Please follow us on Facebook and visit our website at adctusk.org.